I'm Casey Georgeson, the founder of St. Jane Beauty, and what I love most about the beauty industry is your ability to reinvent yourself and express yourself in different ways every day. From New York City, you're listening to Beauty is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the beauty industry. Welcome to Beauty is Your Business. I'm Denise Dente, co-founder of Buzz Beauty, and I am here with my business partner and co-founder, Jessica Quick. I read an interesting statistic the other day that 95% of products actually fail. On today's show, we're buzzing about how to succeed in the shifting beauty landscape. And we're here with our guest, Casey Georgeson. Welcome to the show, Casey. Thank you. So happy to be here. We're excited to have you. And for our guests, we want to kind of get them up to speed on your background because it is quite interesting. Your career has really centered around this storytelling and building iconic brands, both inside the beauty industry and outside. I know you started as a CNN producer and then you transitioned into Sephora's incubator where you worked on brands like Marc Jacobs, Kat Van D, and then into the wine industry where you worked on Cupcake, Cupcake Vineyards. And I know that Jessica and I have both shared several glasses of that wine and found it very lovely. But what we want to ask you today is why do you think that you've been able to beat the odds with brands across both beauty, wine, and now with St. Jane? That is such a good question. And the answer is I have no idea. I think that if I'm looking at it objectively, I think that, you know, so Cupcake Wine, Cupcake Vineyards was the first brand I ever created. Never imagined that it would go on to be the number one Sauvignon Blanc in the world. I think something about the way that I approach brand development across the board and how I've approached it with St. Jane and with all the beauty brands that I worked with at Sephora was really from a place of emotion. And I think I have, I'm very empathetic. I think my EQ is very high. And I think I always start from a place of how is what I'm doing? How is what I'm saying? How is my storytelling going to resonate with someone else? How is it going to be felt and heard? That's how I've always approached brand creation. Cupcake was one of those brands that it really it had a lot of headwinds. People within the industry, people within the organization that I worked at didn't want to launch it. They thought it was confusing. They didn't get it. They thought it looked like a dessert wine, sounded like a dessert wine, and it was just going to go nowhere. And I just felt something from it. Same with St. Jane. I just felt something and I felt that resonance would really ripple out there in the world. And it did. And so I don't know exactly how to kind of replicate that or teach that outside of it is so important to think about every word, every image, every formula that you put out into the world. You have to really think about how that ripple effect is going to impact your clients or the people in the world or the people who are going to help you with your momentum in getting the product not only launched but built. And I think that's where if you start from a place of emotion, how do you make people feel I love that Maya Angelou quote, it's not what you say, it's how people make you feel. And I think that's where I approach all of my brand creation and brand development. 
amazing when you look at, you know, really the background from CNN producer to wine creator, brand incubator, and then now beauty founder of really a brand, St. Jane Beauty, one of the first, I think, complete brands in the marketplace consisting of CBD. One of the first brands consisting of completely CBD across all the different forms in the line. And so it feels when you hear your background, it feels like, gosh, those are a lot of different pivots. But what I would love to know is what did you learn from your previous experiences, that robust CV that you have that has resulted in success for St. Jane? Before I launched St. Jane, I wish I knew all that went into being a beauty founder versus a beauty creator because there were so many touch points and areas of business that I had never worked in. So even though I had gone to business school and I learned the language of business, there was so much that I didn't know existed until I got into the trenches and started doing it. And I think that with St. Jane, I knew that the creative, the packaging, the formulation, that was my expertise. That was my wheelhouse. That's what I had done in wine and beauty for years. And even at CNN, it was all about the storytelling and, you know, making sure that you're communicating with people in a very quick, fast, impactful way. But all of the things that go into being a founder, especially in an industry like CBD, it's been a roller coaster in the best way. I've learned so much, but you know, you've got to do operations and HR and legal and regulatory and all the things that you, you know, shipping, fulfillment, all the things you never knew were so important to the success of a business. And I think my background was always, I created the brand and then I handed it off to someone else to scale the business. And that's where for me, I still, to this day, I feel like I have imposter syndrome, even though we're doing great as a brand and as a business, I'm sort of, I'm always thinking who could better scale this business than me, because that's not my wheelhouse. I love creating it, sprinkling the fairy dust, and then passing it off to someone else who understands how to put it into a bigger system and really, you know, create that scale and create that flywheel. So I don't know. It's, you learn a lot when you're in the trenches and I had no idea. We've heard you talk about something that you call the blink test, and we love this conversation. Can you tell our listeners about the blink test? So the blink test is something that I articulated years ago when I was running innovation for the wine group. And it's this concept that when you're a consumer and you're walking down the wine aisle, for example, you are overloaded with 5,000 choices. And so as a brand, as a wine brand in particular, and the same goes for beauty and the same goes for all CPG, you have less than the blink of an eye to communicate your story, your proposition, your differentiation, your why to that consumer walking down the wine aisle. So I call it the blink test where in the wine space in particular, and again, same in beauty, you have like a little tiny label to tell your story. And so it's got to be, you know, brick to forehead you have to feel the concept before your brain even has time to process it. And so it's back to emotion and it's back to that EQ and really making sure that you're communicating a lot of things in a small amount of space and that you're getting your message across. You've given a lot of great nuggets of information there, pivoting around to the idea of CBD and being disruptive in a market. You chose the platform of CBD can you tell us why you chose CBD as a primary ingredient in St. Jane? I've always personally really struggled with sleep and anxiety, and it's been something that's just been a curse ever since I worked at CNN, and I had those crazy early morning shifts where I'd have to be up at 
three in the morning or one in the morning, depending on the news cycle and what was happening in the world. And I really have always struggled with how do I keep everything in balance? And I was reading an article, this was 2017. So about a year and a half before I launched the brand, I was reading an article and it was a pop sugar article. And the headline was CBD is nature's Xanax meets Advil. And I thought, okay, what is this? And what is CBD? I've never heard of it. And it sounds like a miracle. It's natural. It's healthy. And it is, you know, it's got anti-anxiety benefits. It's got pain benefits. And so I went to a dispensary in San Francisco and I had never been to one. And in fact, I was very sort of anti-cannabis in general because I didn't fully understand it. And I felt like there needed to be more, you know, you think about how long it took mothers against drunk driving to educate people on how to drive safely. My brother was in a car accident when he was 17 and I felt like we weren't ready yet. So it was the first time I'd gone into a dispensary and I said to the bud tender, please show me all of your CBD. I'm not as interested in THC yet. That has since changed, which is another conversation. But at the time I was like, show me your CBD. So he did. And all of the products he pulled out, whether they were topical or ingestible, were very sort of crunchy, hippie, looked like they belonged in, you know, like a health food store and didn't feel like they were developed for me. But next to them was this list of all the things that CBD was really reported to do. And it was you know, helping with anxiety, helping with sleep, gut health, immunity. It had even been shown in tests to reduce cancer cells in Petri dishes. And I thought, okay, well, this is very interesting. And if CBD does even one of these things, it's the most exciting skincare ingredient of our time. And I need to start working with it. The problem was it was still considered by the government a a schedule one substance right up there with heroin. And so it was difficult to, I called all my suppliers from Sephora and I said, Hey, I've I've got this idea. Will you work with me? And they were like, Hey, great to hear from you. It's been a while, but like, absolutely not. We cannot work with this raw material. And so it took a while for me to sort of hunt and peck and find suppliers that were willing to take the risk and work with me on it. And then of course the farm bill passed and it opened a lot up for us. That was the end of 2018. But in the meantime, you know, I developed the whole brand. We launched January of 2019. The farm bill was December, 2018. So it took a long time to, you know, kind of find the right partners to actually build the formulas with me. I did it, the luxury beauty serum, which is our first formula I did in my kitchen because no one would work with me. And I was having CBD delivered to my house because I was working out of my house and it was like having these, you know, boxes of white powder delivered to my doorstep and, you know, trying to figure out what it was, making sure that the certificates of analysis were, were accurate and it was safe. And so it was definitely different than approaching a traditional skincare line with traditional raw materials. But ultimately I really believe, and I still believe in the potency and the efficacy of CBD as a molecule for skin. And what we've learned since then is it is the most powerful anti-inflammatory for skin period. So I'm glad that, you know, I went through the brain damage of actually building it and creating those formulas, but definitely made it harder working with that molecule. Absolutely. And like you said, harder because it was also pre-farm bill. So you didn't have the support. And I'm definitely curious about, okay, so it's 2017, you're getting interested in this, you've gone out and you've started talking to different people about building it. I'm curious, what were some of the myths or some of the rationale as to why they wouldn't help you that you have since, you know, realized just, it just wasn't true? Well, I think the biggest is that because CBD is derived from the cannabis plant, even though it's derived, what we work with is derived from hemp, which is naturally low in THC. There's a lot of confusion around hemp versus, you know, more THC rich cannabis. And so separating out, we are working with 
the CBD, the cannabinoids minus the THC. We really love the full spectrum entourage effect of THC in there in low levels because it's been proven to work best with your endocannabinoid system and it's the sum is greater than the individual parts. However, I think it was that, you know, CBD is not THC. CBD is not going to make you feel anything. In fact, CBD is more like it's a vitamin. And when you use it regularly, it's more about what you don't feel. You don't feel as anxious. You don't feel insomnia. You don't feel as much pain. Your body is in homeostasis. And so I think that's been the biggest. And still to this day, I just read an article not long ago. I think it was an ABC study that said that people, moms still believe that CBD is going to make you feel high. And it's just a funny thing because I look at it as such a wellness ingredient. It seems like such a, a vitamin to me that we still have a lot of education to do. People will think that's not for me. I'm not a marijuana person. I'm not a cannabis person. And they don't understand the difference between CBD, THC, and how it all works. You've been forging a lot of new ground and a lot of new areas of the business when we take a look at where you've been and where your family has been, I'm interested to take a look back because the story of your family and how they've broken boundaries really pivots into this and kind of dovetails into what you've just done with CBD. So can you take us back and tell us a little bit about your family? Yes. My great-grandmother was a mail-order bride from Italy in 1900. Yes, that was a thing. Still blows my mind. She came over from Italy, sight unseen, married my great-grandfather, Giuseppe, and she made sure they got married before they left San Francisco. She's like, I'm not going with you via horse and buggy to the San Joaquin Valley unless we're married. Smart woman. So they got married in North Beach, the Italian section of San Francisco, and they started a life together. They had seven children. And when Giuseppe, my great-grandfather, they were growing grapes in the San Joaquin Valley. That was their business. So fast forward to the 30s. It was the Depression and the Prohibition. Giuseppe goes back to Italy for a family sabbatical to see family back there. And so Teresa, my great-grandmother, was on her own, saw an opportunity to essentially start a wine business. So again, prohibition and the Great Depression, that's the climate at the time. She marched into the Bank of Italy, which is now Bank of America, because all the Italians were friends in the area. And she walked into AP Giannini's office and said, I need a $10,000 loan. And he was like, what? Uh, it's the Depression and the Prohibition. What are you going to do with this? She said, I'm going to start a winery and I'm going to bet the farm. He said, okay, I'll give you the loan. So she took $10,000, she gave $5,000 to her sons to start Franzia Brothers Winery, and $5,000 to her son-in-law to start uh, Ernest and Giulio Gallo. Her son-in-law was Ernest Gallo. So this four foot ten mail-order bride from Italy ended up, while her husband was away, starting two of the largest wine businesses in the world today. And I never met her. She died before I was born, but I've known her story since I was little. And she's just been so inspiring to me that this, you know, kind of female entrepreneur before that was even a thing started these two giant wine organizations. And, you know, her legacy is really fascinating to me that she had the guts to do it. And I think wine and alcohol during the prohibition is much like CBD and cannabis today. Casey, I love that you drew that parallel. I'm sure you've drawn a ton of parallels in your life with your entrepreneurial family. It clearly runs through the line, which is really exciting to to see. And when you were speaking, that's exactly where I went was how interesting that your great grandmother was running kind of a same type of path that you are now. And the fact that this comes through your whole family, you've got 
entrepreneurs throughout your entire family, when you sat down and started really thinking about St. Jean Beauty, were they the ones that you went to initially and brainstormed and talked with? Or did you go and stay within the industry and the contacts that you had at Sephora? Who really kind of did you connect with in order to conceptualize and build St. Jane Beauty? It's really interesting because I definitely felt this internal drive where there was nothing that anyone could have told me that would have stopped me. I kept saying, I'm going to do this as long as it feels right. And when it stops feeling right, then I know. And I remember going to my uncle who took over the wine group. He, it's a whole other story, really fascinating story. He was an unbelievable innovator in the wine industry. His name's Art Sioka. He's the one who came up with the Franzia wine tap, wine in a box. So that was his innovation. And I remember talking to him and telling him the idea and he was asking all of the right questions, but it was this crazy thing that has never happened in my life being somebody who, you know, I've always been such a pleaser and I've always been such a high kind of emotive EQ person. There was nothing that anyone could have said to me that would have stopped me. Even if people were like CBD is just, it's schedule one substance. It's looked at like heroin. Nothing was going to stop me. I saw this opportunity and I wanted to make it come alive. And so I did talk to you know people within my family. I talked to other entrepreneurs. I talked to people in the cannabis space. I talked to cannabis attorneys. I did. I cast a very wide net trying to wrap my head around what I was dealing with and what I was working with. And that was really helpful. I did a ton of research, but it was all to validate my thesis that I was doing this. There was even if there were things that felt like they were gonna you know kind of knock me off course. I was like, yeah, hurdle, not a big deal. We're gonna keep going. But yeah, I'm a big believer in mentorship. I'm a big believer in, you know, kind of not reinventing the wheel, building a network. I have an incredible network of female entrepreneurs, people who started businesses around the same time that I did. We all rely on each other. You know, have you tried this? What's your 3PL? How's this going for you? You know, how much are you spending on TikTok ads? Don't reinvent the wheel, create these alliances. And, you know, our brand is, St. Jean is all about women empowerment, collaboration. And so we live that. And I have entrepreneurs calling me all the time now and asking for advice. And I'm like, here's how I did it. Don't reinvent the wheel. Good advice. Jessica and I talk with each other and with various colleagues in the field all the time. And one of the things that we spend time speaking about has to do with this idea of diversity of thought. And it sounds like that's something that you did, you know, going outside just beauty, also addressing folks in the beauty business, but looking outside. So how do you feel about diversity of thought? I think it's essential. My diversity of thought comes from CNN, where every day I worked on something different. I never knew what I was going to work on on any given morning. You never knew what the news was going to throw you. And so that ability to be flexible and really you have to look outside of what's right in front of you in order to get the whole picture. I think same with the fact that I worked in wine and I worked in beauty and I have experience in multiple industries. The wine industry is a perfect example. If you stay insular and look only at the wine industry and that is the sandbox that you stay in, you're never going to innovate. It's going to be the same, 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 same as it's been for the last 500 years in wine. So when I created Cupcake, that was probably the, you know, and I think also all of those innovators who created the Critter brands or, you know, you name the category that broke through in wine, they looked outside of the wine industry to come up with something that was very disruptive. And I think that's what you have to do. You have to look at trends. You have to look at where people are. You have to look at touch points. And then you can incorporate them into the ethos that you're working in, the sandbox that you're working in, in a fresh, 
you know, different way. And I look in beauty and there's so many examples of that. I mean, look at Drunk Elephant. What a great example of a brand that completely disrupted the industry. So cool. And so I think, you know, there's so many brands that have built success because of disruption. And and I love that, you know, it's build a better mousetrap, right? Absolutely. And I think the level of innovation, right? Like you're saying that inspiration outside of your industry, having those trusted allies that you can pick up the phone and really connect with. Denise and I, you know, when we set out as partners as well, that we knew we needed somebody that we could have in our corner and trust that you can bounce ideas off of, but also that would, you know, tell you, look, this might be a better way to do it. You're, you're trying way too hard. Don't reinvent the wheel, go out and, you know, find someone else that's done this before and figure out how they've done it. See if it can work for you. I think that's really sage advice, especially in a competitive landscape like beauty, because it does feel like it's so saturated, but yet there's constantly new brands coming to market and new ideas, new designs. And that in itself lends itself to more, excitement, more, you know, more, more, more. So when you look at something like St. Jane, what is your philosophy when you're thinking about you just launched a new product, which is gorgeous, your new SPF product? How do you think about that innovation within St. Jane? Is it about having one product launch a year or is it only when inspiration strikes you? How do you go about innovation? So many good layers to that question. I think the first answer around innovation and timing and cadence is really, it has to be true to your brand and it has to feel like the right time in the industry to do it. It has to feel authentic. You have to make sure you have the right formula, the right packaging, the right testing, the right reason for being. So never launch anything just to launch things. That is the kiss of death. You're going to get yourself into a lot of trouble But I think the first part of your question is also really powerful in that, you know, building these alliances and people that you can rely on to help you get to the right answers is the absolute recipe for success insofar as you have to be vulnerable and you have to be authentic in order to build those relationships. You have to be honest. And I think that's what's so different in the beauty industry today than it was 20 years ago. 20 years ago, it was the, you know, they're very corporate, very male dominated, not very many founders. It really was a different world. And now I think all these female founders, they realize, you know, we don't have all the answers, even though it might seem from the outside, like we've got it all figured out. Our product launches, our cadence, our storytelling, our everything looks, our retail relationships. It looks so easy. Every single day as a founder is so hard. And you guys know this. It is every day is different. Every day throws things at you that you're like, wait, what? I didn't realize that was going to be something that I had to deal with or fix or problem solve. You can't do it alone, but you also have to acknowledge that as long as you're doing the best that you can and that you're relying on other people honestly and authentically and sharing what your struggles are in a way that is, you know, kind of therapeutic for you, but also helps them. That's how you build those alliances. And I think that's how you get further. And I think that resonates too with your clients. I'm an introverted extrovert. I love being around people, but I'm not big on sharing. You don't see me doing a ton of reels or a ton of TikToks. Like I'm shy. I don't want to be on camera. I like to be behind the scenes, the wizard behind the curtain. And so for me, those relationships and and creating that authenticity with my fellow female founders and one-on-one with my clients and the St. Jane community is really important to me. But it all comes from authenticity. I think being real with yourself that it's not easy, 
and you're pushing a boulder uphill and every day comes with a different set of challenges. Jessica, this sounds like a conversation that you and I have pretty regularly, right? Absolutely correct. And we agree the authenticity and it goes even back to what Denise was saying earlier about dissension of thought, because you have to be okay with somebody telling you no or being able to tell somebody else no. And Casey, early on when you said you were a people pleaser, you know, you really wanted to make people happy, right? That resonates because it's a common thing we all grow up with, especially being female, you know, is this need to to please others. And so being able to kind of identify that and know that, and then the fact that you have found a way to, even with that being part of your personality, say, I wholeheartedly believe in this, no matter what anybody tells me. I'm loving this conversation because I know what I'm taking away from this is that confidence that you have in your gut of people were against me on Cupcake and I just, I fought for it and I knew it was the right thing. St. Jane, same thing in the battle. I mean, that's not a hill. That's a mountain range that you climbed for beauty and CBD. And I just love that you just trusted yourself enough, which tells me you had some great people in your corner that were there to root you on and support you. Because I do think that's part of this is getting up this hill is having that support network and trusted, truthful alliances. And going easy on yourself. I remember about eight months into launching St. Jane. So just after summer of 2019, I was on the treadmill and I was running and I was like, okay, what's the worst thing that can happen? St. Jane fails. That's the worst thing that can happen right now. And if it fails, I don't know, I'll write a book and talk about how I built a company and then how it failed really fast. And there was something about going to the worst case scenario that allowed me to go easier on myself, that it's, it's going to be okay. And thankfully I have, you're right, a really great support system that I've built over the course of my life. My husband's amazing. And I was able to go to the worst case scenario and still feel safe and you're going to be okay. And even if you build something and it doesn't work, you're going to be okay. Maybe you'll go on to build something else. Maybe you'll go on to help other people build something, or maybe you'll just move on and do your thing, but you're going to be okay. Well, I'm glad for your mental sanity that St. Jane has done really well because I can tell you, Jessica and I sat down and wrote a book and it was way harder than we ever thought it was going to be. So I am thrilled that St. Jane has become such a success that you didn't have to go through that. I still would love to read your book. So I'm still going to count on the fact that after you uh, continue to scale St. Jane, that you do write a book on your success as well as the legacy of success in your family. You also have three daughters. So I think that that is another piece to this layer that is interesting and dynamic. And I know that they're very important in your life. They are. That's what it's all about. I remember I have a friend who, when I was trying to figure out if I wanted to launch a brand, a dear friend of mine who launched her own brand, an electric bike company called Blue Jay, we were sitting down talking and I said, I just know I I don't have the capacity to be a great mom and a founder. I don't know how to do both. And she said, why don't you involve the girls in the journey of building the business? And it was this moment where the skies parted. And I thought, I that's it. That's what I'm going to do. And I've done it. And I think that's been a really great lesson for them is watching me do it and seeing how it's not easy and how I have to persevere, but also how I create boundaries. And I make sure that that balance is forced. I always put them first, but I also am, you know, I have time where I'm working and they understand that. And then I have time where I'm creating, you know, nice, cozy space for all of us to, you know, for them to be kids and for me to be a mom. And it takes effort, but it's 100% top of my priority list. 
I love that. I mean, it's such a culmination of kind of what we've been hearing from you all of this conversation. So thank you so much, Casey, for sharing all of this. And if listeners that heard today's podcast, if they want to hear from you or get in touch with you, what's a good way to reach out to you? Anyone can reach out to me. I'm, I love chatting with people and connecting. My email address is Casey at stjanebeauty.com. And my Instagram is at Casey Georgeson. So either way, find me there. And I, again, love connecting. Well, Casey, thank you again for being on today's show. I feel like we skimmed the surface of so many things that you have such a depth of knowledge in not only being the founder, creating a brand that pushed the envelope on where beauty was headed by using CBD, by having to find the right suppliers, by having to find the right support network. So look forward to hopefully having you back again and diving into some of these topics even a little bit more deeper. Thank you for your time today. Thank you, guys. This was so fun. Thank you so much. This has been Beauty Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2021. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at beautyisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening.